0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning, Missio Day Chicago. Welcome to our online service. As it happens, uh, when I'm standing here now, it's actually Wednesday morning, and Elijah and I are in the sanctuary here at 1242 West Addison, and we're just talking about the fact that this is kind of strange, We are standing here recording this, unsure of the results of the election from last night. And maybe when this airs on Sunday, we still won't know. Maybe we will. I'm not sure. But I actually think that's a good place to be in. It's a reminder that this series, Kingdom Citizens, is designed to go far past any singular election, any moment, uh, November 3rd or March 18th. It doesn't matter. What we're talking about is how to be... uh, Kingdom citizens, Christians living in the reality of our specific place and time. In the New Testament, uh, the believers at that time were first century Christians learning to live out kingdom citizenship in the midst of the Roman Empire. And we're here today talking about how to be kingdom citizens in America in 2020. Regardless of where we are, we want to talk about being kingdom citizens first and foremost. We've been talking about the relationship of faith and politics. We've been talking about power dynamics. We've been talking about nonviolent resistance, the politics of Jesus. Today, what we're going to talk about is division, disagreement, and daily discourse. What I mean is this. What does it look like to be a God-honoring person in our daily discourse, in our, in our real-life interactions? How do we do that in light of very real division? Very real disagreement. How do we live out Christian ethics thriving in the way of Jesus in the midst of being divided by politics? Because that is our reality right now. Earlier this week, Brandon Blessman was um, praying over our congregation, over our city in light of this election, and something that he prayed struck me. And it's so true. He was praying into the fact that this division that we feel isn't just about a political party division. It's causing real divide, mother and son, brother and sister, roommate to roommates, friendships, uh, torn or or tensed because of it. It's beyond political theories or opinions when it's dividing real relationships, when it's straining people, when when it's cutting deeper in a different kind of a way. And it feels really intense this season. I've been talking to many adult children, my friends, Um, talking the past few months about how this election seems to be tearing the fabric of their family visits in ways that have never happened before, really making um, family ties feel like they're wearing thin, walking on eggshells, family visits ruined, fear and hurts. There's something really tense going on. Why this large divide? What's going on? Well, consider this, I was thinking about this. If, if you were to ask me, Melissa, who did you vote for? And if I were to tell you, which I'm not going to, it's not the platform of the moment, it doesn't matter, but let's just pretend that I told you who I voted for. Your response most likely wouldn't be, oh, well now I know what Melissa thinks about a specific candidate's qualifications and their character. That wouldn't be what you thought. The first thing you would probably think is, now I know what Melissa thinks about healthcare, Gun control, abortion, taxation, foreign policy. You would think you knew an awful lot about me after hearing my party affiliation. And that can't possibly all be accurate. But politically, we have decided as a society that we need these big buckets. And so that's where the divide comes in. I was reading a book called Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. And this is a a, a, a social... A psychologist person um he was talking about the history of how this divide happened and I thought it was interesting so let me just take you through uh, the last 50 years in just a minute or so so first of all candidates used to run according to their own opinions about certain things on various topics but around 1950 the American Political Science Association asked very specifically for a more polarized political party system They said this, unless the parties identify themselves with programs, the public is unable to make an intelligent choice between them. They wanted the parties to serve as shortcuts for a whole bunch of information because nobody could possibly have opinions on all of those issues. That was the theory. And so they said we just needed to uh, polarize our political parties. In 1959, then Vice President Richard Nixon said that the strength of our political system was that we have avoided the generally violent swings in administrations from one extreme to the other. The reason we have avoided that is that both parties, in both parties, there's been room for a broad spectrum of opinion. It doesn't feel like that right now to me. I don't think that feels like the situation right now at all. Robert F. Kennedy warned, we are already split between sections and races and ethnic groups. We do not need another split between liberal and conservatives. But that's exactly what it feels like is happening now. He noted this, Ezra Klein noted this, that when disagreement happens within a party, which it's bound to do, within its party, it's handled through compromise, somewhat somewhat quietly in the public eye, right? Because the parties don't want to fight among themselves. But when there's disagreement between parties, it's addressed through conflict, very intentionally to cause that greater divide. That conflict has worked to sharpen the chasm between uh, parties, the divisiveness that we all feel. Over time, interestingly enough, they measured how warm do you feel on a scale of one to 100? How warm do you feel about your own party? And how warm do you feel about the opposing party? And over the decades, what they've noticed is this. We actually are likely to like our own party even less than we used to. But we have come to dislike the opposing party far more. That's where the greater divide has happened. And so Ezra Klein says this, even as hope and change sputter, meaning faith in our own party, fear and loathing proceed. The hatred against the other party is the thing that has grown stronger. Okay, enough on history. I just wanted you to know that this political divide, this divisiveness is kind of an intentional design that has grown over the last 50 years. And you might say this, okay, fine, the divisiveness is intentional, but the other guys are making dumb decisions. What are they thinking? So this is interesting too. I was, uh, Brian Fulton led me to um, this a uh, social psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, who wrote "Hate," H-A-I-D-T, who wrote why good people are divided by religion and politics. And it's really fascinating. We're not as different fundamentally as we think. Now, remember, we've said this before, be willing to name evil as evil, but do not demonize those who think differently than you. Proverbs 18.2 says this, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Let's have interest in understanding. Be listeners and learners. We may not be as different as we think. So Jonathan Haidt has done all of this research and has found that human morality is fundamentally based on six different moral functions. I won't go through all of these, but if you consider this, we all have six basic moral foundations within our human mind and our experience. He refers to these metaphorically as moral taste buds. Um, our brains have six major sensors on how it is that we detect different flavors so to speak of our moral data and so we have the same think of it this way you open up your cabinet shelf we all have the same group of spices in there but it leads to various different cuisines how we um, think about those cooking shows right four different people are given five same ingredients and then say go And they have completely different end results because of how they experience and prioritize those ingredients, how they work with them. The same theory applies here. Each of these different categories are the same in their foundation, but how we prioritize them and how we experience them are different. How do we value our care for others? Um, What does that mean to us? How much do we value authority? What does that mean to us? How about fairness versus cheating or loyalty versus betrayal? These core foundations were operating with the same ingredients, but we experience and prioritize them differently. And we end up with various outcomes. And so what he says, what he indicates is that it's time to stop assuming that the other decision maker is dumb and start instead asking questions like what what must have been in his experience that brought him to engage with the world in that way his mind is working really differently than mine what might be happening so now we bring this out of the world of social psychology and back into the world of christian ethics as kingdom citizens and i would say this it means slathering the entire thing with grace Beth Moore recently uh, posted something that I thought was really relevant to this. We can't change Jesus, but make no mistake, Jesus can change us. Let's have a little charity towards one another. That's grace. He's not done with any of us yet. And it's true. In our series that we were just in recently in James, we learned this, James 1:19. you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to to get angry so let's summarize where we've come so far division is real it's absolutely real it's part of the political party design disagreement is therefore inevitable it's going to happen but if we are actually starting with the same base of ingredients how do we as Christ followers model Jesus in the division and disagreement because it's going to happen now our intention this morning is to name very real and actionable steps I'm gonna have a bit of a list. And the reason I'm offering this big list is that in a couple of weeks, you're gonna be sitting around a Thanksgiving dinner table with somebody who's making you nuts because you don't agree. Very likely that will happen. And so I wanna give us real tangible ways to live this out. How do I engage in my daily discourse with the disagreement and the division that is so surrounding us now? There's a bit of a long list here, We don't need to remember all of them. Grab which one might work for you to carry you into your real everyday life as we stand as Christian citizens in the midst of division and disagreement. The first three we already kind of covered already. So I'll go through them briefly. Number one, listen, ask questions. Then listen some more. Listen, do a lot of listening. Like James said, quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Ask questions and listen. Number two, start with grace. Don't assume the worst of the whole person just because you're disagreeing on a topic. Start with grace. Number three, and we covered this more previously, but once again, as an important reminder, be willing to name evil as evil, but do not demonize the person. They are an image bearer. There's a difference. So you can name an evil as an evil, but do not demonize the human. Those three we've covered before, but I have a couple more to add to them that I want to give us as we consider how do we live out our kingdom citizenship in the reality here. So number four, I would say this, make your line in the sand matter. In a staff conversation recently, we were talking about social media posts right now where there are people who are putting so many lines in the sand, so many absolutes. I stand here and there is no room for conversation on this thing. Now, listen, there is a time to put lines in the sand, but if you've got 50 lines in your sand where there is no room for any conversation, you're gonna isolate yourself and you're not gonna have room for there to be opportunities for grace and conversation. Make your line in the sand matter. And I would say this within this topic. Make sure you differentiate between the difference of sin and a difference of opinion. For example, murder is a sin. My opinion on city gun restriction is an opinion. Murder is sin. Differentiate between the two and remember to make your line in the sand matter so it has value. Uh, Number five, I would say this. Let's make sure we prioritize relationship over winning when we're in a disagreement. What's the most important thing? Being right, swaying others. I would say that building relationships is the only way to have your opinion have value within a conversation. Not building a relationship so that somebody will change their opinion someday, but so that you have something more solid to stand on as the base of your relationship. Let that be your solid footing so that you can engage in an intelligent conversation and have uh, the the reputation, that the earned trust to have your voice even matter. Your friendship can withstand inevitable disagreement because it's rooted on more than that topic, whatever that topic may be. You are rooted in the love of God and sharing that love with others. They matter infinitely more than the party affiliation. You love them regardless of their party affiliation. And that can be hard sometimes, but it's true. Remember, you love that person regardless of their views because God loves people of all different political parties. It's true. They can be wrong and still be loved. So prioritize your relationship over winning. A couple of examples. I know that this can feel hard and you can say, yeah, but you don't know how ridiculous their view is. But let's look back to the example of Jesus time and time again. Jesus sat and gave grace to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't, didn't uh, agree. They didn't, uh, there was uh, mutual disdain, actually. And Jesus sat at that well with this woman who very likely was somewhat ostracized from her community because that's why she was there alone. And he sat with her and he offered her life life-giving water. He offered him grace. He offered her himself. That is the Jesus that we follow. Jesus sat at dining tables with sinners and tax collectors. That's who was at Jesus's dining table. Jesus offers this kind of grace all the time, love beyond people who are doing and uh, viewing the world differently than him. And he offered grace and love because they mattered to God. I'm going to read from Luke 7, starting in verse 27 out of the NLT. And I want us to listen to these familiar words this time with our minds set on people with different political views than ourselves. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love those, only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only To those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. That's smothering everything in grace. Grace, first of all. So, which number are we on? Number six. This is another important one. As a reminder, as you go to that Thanksgiving table or wherever else you find yourself in the midst of all of this division and disagreement, as a Christ follower, remember who you reflect to the world. Uh, this Stanley Ross and William will oh that was a mouthful sorry they wrote this great book called resident aliens and it's talking about how to be kingdom citizens in our reality right now and they say this from a christian point of view the world needs the church not to help run the world more smoothly or to make the world a better place and safer for christians to live rather the world needs the church because without the church the world does not know who it is The only way for the world to know that it is being redeemed is for the church to point to the redeemer by being a redeemed people. The way for the church to know that it needs redeeming, that it's broken and fallen, is for the church to enable the world to strike hard against something which is an alternative to what the world offers. What that means is the world right now is offering fear of the other political party, political Division, disrupting relationships. That's what the world is offering right now. What alternative can we as the church offer? That's the prophetic imagination we've been talking about throughout this series. We've been talking about living a different picture, living into the alternative picture of longing for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, regardless of who sits in which office. Speaking and living into who and what our faith is ultimately rooted in. And listen, I would say this, our faith is not rooted in joy over somebody else's defeat. That's not what we're rooted in as Christ followers. Our joy is in the promise of the elimination of all evil, the elimination of all injustice. That's what our hope is in. That's the redeeming that's happening in the great story that we are a part of and we get to live it and live out now. The vindication isn't over... Um, Uh, the retribution over the other person. It's vindication of what is right and elimination of what is evil. True justice, true shalom. My professor said this recently, contemporary political rhetoric is too focused on elimination without adding a story of true redemption. We live the story of what true redemption means. The elimination, not of that, uh, another demonized political party, the elimination of sin, of injustice, that's the redemption story we live into and that we get to live out here and now as kingdom citizens. And then lastly, I would offer this. As Christ followers, I want to remind us to let what we stand for as people of faith to be greater than what we stand against in politics. Here's what I mean. Let what you stand for be greater than what you stand against. So as kingdom citizens, first and foremost, before political affiliation, we have uh, uh, just the belief, a, a, a declaration of our faith in Jesus as Lord, as the true King. And if that's true, then that means that we are for loving God and loving others. So let's take our neighbors. We're for loving our neighbors. What if our neighbor is... Uh, believing something that we are strongly against that's okay we can absolutely be against that thing but what's the greater thing what we are for is loving our neighbor we are for loving them more than we are against their political beliefs what we are for is greater than what we're against I'll give you another example. We are for the fact that every single human being is made to bear the image of God. God loves everyone and longs for their redemption, for them to come to know God's love in return. Everyone is made in the image of God and has, has immeasurable value because of that. That's why we fight for true justice, right? For true shalom and kingdom inbreaking. So what if that person made in the image of God has a really ill-informed opinion that they don't know much about and we really truly do know a lot more about it? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't disagree with them or share our opinion or have conversation, but what it does mean is that we are against their ill-informed view, but we are for their image bearer. We are for their immeasurable value more than we are against their ill-informed view. What we are for is is more important than what we're against. I just threw a lot of things at you, but the underlying point is this. Living out kingdom citizenship is being willing to acknowledge that there is a chasm in this world that is creating um, an us and them mentality that we do not want to uh, agree with anymore. We wanna look at the political divide and be willing to be present, share our opinions, yes, but honor God and honor others above all else. And if we live that out in our conversations, in our listening, then people will experience a different reality than what it is that the world is offering. And maybe, just maybe, they'll get a glimpse of the love of God through your loving encounter with them. May it be so, Missio Day. May we be kingdom City citizens in the midst of the divide and in the midst of the disagreements. May we be... Uh, people who bring forth love and grace above all else. Let's continue in worship. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodachicago.com.